Good morning. I'm excited to be with you again this morning. Really excited to start a new sermon series today. You know, we've been in the same sermon series since the start of the year, and that finished up last Sunday, Easter Sunday. So today we're starting a new one talking about how we hear God's voice. And I hope this is a a topic that's of interest to you. It certainly is to me. I know a lot of Christians who would say, I wish God would speak to me. I know a lot of other Christians who would say, I don't think God would ever speak to me. I'm just not that good, not that important. Surely he saves his communication for the really key people, biblical figures and so forth. And I think a lot of people even would say, well, you know, maybe God spoke in biblical times and now he just sort of gives us the Bible and that's enough. So we're going to start today with the idea of how exactly does God speak? In 2005, uh, there was a man in Wales, a businessman named Howard Stapleton, and his daughter, his adult daughter, came home from the grocery store one day and told him that on her way out of the store, some teenagers who'd been sitting outside the store just loitering and getting into no good had harassed her. And she was really upset. And so he thought, well, something needs to be done about this. People can't just hang out outside of establishments and and hurt their business. So he created something that he called the mosquito tone. Now, here's what the mosquito tone is. It's a machine that produces a high-pitched sound, this constant tone that's very annoying, and that only teenagers and those younger than teens can hear. Adults can't hear it, but teenagers can. And so he started marketing this product, and pretty soon grocery stores and other businesses bought it across Wales, across the UK, and then around the world, and teenagers and other people who wanted to get into trouble had to find a new place to hang out. So what is the mosquito tone? How does it work? This is interesting. Uh, It's actually true that all of us have hair on the inside of our ears, no old man jokes here, Um, but hairs on the inside of our ears that enable us to catch sound waves. And once you hit 25, the hairs, those hairs start to deteriorate, starting with the ones that pick up higher pitched sounds. And so, for instance, if you're older than 25, and I think most of us are, you can no longer hear frequencies over 16 kilohertz. So I did a test on this. I, I looked up on, uh, online mosquito tone and found a little uh, test that we could run. My kids listened, I listened, and they were able to hear things that were over 16 kilohertz, I was not. So what it's saying is my kids have more ear hair than I do, and I'm glad to say that. Now, the good news is when it comes to hearing the voice of God, you and I, no matter who you are, no matter what age you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter uh, what kinds of sins you've been guilty of or how good you think you are, all of us have enough spiritual ear hair, you might say, to hear whatever it is God wants to say to you. In other words, God can speak to you just the same way he speaks to me. doesn't matter that I'm considered a pastor or I've been ordained or I've been to seminary. None of that puts me any closer to God or makes him more likely to speak to me than to you or me more able to hear his voice than you are. And and we're going to talk about why that is today. The the truth is... A lot of us think, again, that God only spoke in biblical times. In fact, we have this idea, this fallacy, that in biblical times, God was just speaking from heaven to people left and right. But it's not actually true. In in the story of Abraham, for instance, Abraham's one of the great heroes of scripture. Abraham actually heard from God eight times. That's it. 
And all of them were after he was the age of 75. The truth is now that the Holy Spirit is here with us, now that God dwells in us, and we're going to talk more about that in a moment, we can hear from God every day. We can hear his voice on a regular basis. There shouldn't be a day that goes by that we don't communicate with him and hear from him in some way. And so we have it much better than those biblical figures did. So I want to start today with the story of Balaam. And a lot of you know this story. It's found in Genesis, I'm sorry, Numbers 22, 27 through 35. And, and let me give you some, a little bit of a background before we get into the story. So this takes place in the middle of the time when the children of Israel, God's people, were, had just been freed from slavery in Egypt, and they're on their way to the promised land. And along the way, they happen to go through the land of Midian. And the king of Midian, a man named Balak, looks out and sees hundreds of thousands of people who he would consider illegal aliens trespassing on his land. He doesn't want to attack them because he's afraid they might overwhelm my army. So instead, he sends emissaries with a lot of money to offer this pagan sorcerer named Balaam. Balaam gets on his donkey and heads out to collect his fee. God sends an angel to stand in Balaam's way. God decides to do a number on Balaam. Uh, and, and so he sends an angel to stand in Balaam's way. The donkey can see the angel, but Balaam can't. And this happens three separate times where the donkey sees the angel in turns and, and Balaam beats the donkey and the donkey gets back on track. So we're going to pick up the story with the third one of those instances in verse 27. Verse 27 says, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam and Balaam's anger was kindled and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, because you've made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey which you have, on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. The interesting thing about the story is Balaam, this supposed, supposedly revered uh, prophet, this sage, actually loses an argument to a donkey. I just love that. Verse 31. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hand. And he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned for I did not, I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. Now, as far as we know, this is the only time God spoke through a, a, a dumb animal. Although you might say he does that every Sunday in pulpits across America. That was your joke for the day. But my point is, God spoke in an unusual way through Balaam. And we're going to come back to this story later on. There are all kinds of ways in the Old Testament that God spoke. This is just one example. And we're going to talk about the others right now. So, so let's look at, at eight different ways we see God speaking in the Old Testament. And then we'll talk about how it transitioned in the New Testament. And then we'll talk about what these stories in Scripture mean for us today about how God speaks. 
So eight ways God spoke in the Old Testament to people. Number one, he spoke through prophets. Prophets were men and women who were given a message from God to deliver to the people. That's one way God spoke. Secondly, he spoke through angels. Sometimes the angels came and they were spectacular and the people who saw them fell on their faces, trembling in fear. Other times, other times the angels came and they looked just like ordinary human beings. They disguised themselves. But angelic visitors were a way that God spoke in Old Testament times. Number three, he spoke through miraculous signs. Balaam is an example. So is the burning bush that Moses saw. Once again, there's only one story in the whole Bible where God speaks through a bush that's on fire. And that's in the story of Moses. Number four, God spoke through dreams. Now this is important for you to understand because I think a lot of people get confused. They'll have a very vivid dream at night and wake up and think, wow, was that God trying to speak to me? What you need to see in scripture is Every time God speaks through a dream, the person having the dream knows that it's from God and the person having the dream knows what the dream means. Either God supplies them with the meaning, the meaning is apparent in the dream, or somebody like a Joseph or a Daniel comes along and interprets it for them. So you don't have to wonder if tomorrow morning you wake up and you've had a strange dream at night, whether it was God or not, because if it was, he'd make sure you knew. God does not hide his communication. But number four, dreams are a way that God communicated in Old Testament times. Number five, he spoke through visions. And best I can tell, I've never had a vision from God. Best I can tell, a vision is just a dream that you have when you're awake. God just takes you uh, and places this vision before you. Number six, God spoke through casting lots. And we honestly don't know what lots were. We assume they were some kind of dice-like uh, creation. So the, the priest of God would take the, the lots and he would roll them and say, okay, Lord, if, if you want us to turn left and let the, let the lots show up this way, but if you want us to turn right, let the lots show up that way. And, and that's one of the ways God's people made decisions back then. And the Bible says that God used those as a way of communicating as well. Interestingly enough, the last time lots are used in scripture is in Acts chapter one. You know, what happens in Acts two is the Holy Spirit arrives. We're about to talk about that. Number seven, and this is the way most people think about God speaking, God spoke in an audible voice. So people would hear God's voice with their ears. Sometimes like Elijah, a gentle whisper. Sometimes like the children of Israel standing at the foot of Mount Sinai in a thundering majestic voice. But God would speak so that people could hear. And then number eight, God spoke in ways that aren't described to us. And the reason I include that category is there are several times in scripture when it just says God spoke, God spoke to Ezekiel, God spoke to Deborah, God spoke to Abraham, and it doesn't say the means he used to communicate with them. And so we don't know. We don't know exactly how he spoke in that way, but that's eight different ways God spoke in Old Testament times. Now in the New Testament, Jesus arrives, and Jesus is God in human flesh. So that means that the way God spoke during the time of Jesus was by Jesus talking. When whatever Jesus said, that was God speaking. And I know a lot of us as Christians have often thought to ourselves or maybe even, maybe even said out loud, wow, I wish it could be that way today. I wish Jesus could be here in the flesh so I could just ask him questions. But interestingly enough, Jesus said in John 16, the night he was to be arrested and the next day crucified, it's good that I'm going away. Think about that. 
It's good that I'm leaving you. Why? Because I'm leaving you so that the Holy Spirit can come. In other words, I'm going to leave. And from this point on, anyone who believes in me will have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside them. Now you might say, well, how is that possibly better? Well, think about it. If Jesus is just one man, and he was, greatest man who ever lived, absolutely. Son of God, absolutely. God in human flesh, you bet. But if you wanted to ask Jesus a question, you'd have to go where he was. So for you and me, if Jesus was still here in the flesh and he was the only way God spoke, we'd have to get on a plane in the middle of our quarantine, find a flight to Israel, find our way to Nazareth, fight past all the thousands of other people who are wanting to see Jesus at that particular moment and go up to him and say, okay, Jesus, here's my question. But as it is now, we have it so much better because the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus dwells with us and is available to us 24 seven, 365. And so that's how God speaks. That's how God has been speaking to us ever since Acts chapter two. And yet it's interesting to note when you read the book of Acts, God still, even after the coming of the Holy Spirit, God still continued to use some of those old means of getting messages across. So we see Peter have a vision on top of uh, the house in Joppa. We see, uh, we see people having visions. We, have, we see people having dreams. We see angels showing up and releasing someone from prison or prophets. A prophet spoke to Paul, at, at times even audible voices. And so God still continued to use those even after the Holy Spirit showed up, which tells me God might still use some of those means today. There's nothing in scripture that says that God no longer speaks in these miraculous over the top ways. In fact, years ago, I was helping my brother-in-law do some mowing. He, he had a, a side business as a landscaper. And I remember we met this elderly lady, we mowed her yard and afterwards she invited us into her house and gave us some iced tea and she was telling us stories. And, and the story that I remember, this woman said when she was a little baby, one day she just stopped breathing. And her mom, this is her firstborn child, young woman at home. This baby is now unconscious, no longer breathing. This is before there was such a thing as CPR training, at least on a mass basis. And this young woman didn't know what to do. And she heard a voice say, breathe in your baby's mouth. And so she obeyed it. She pried open her baby's mouth and began to breathe into the mouth of this little baby girl. And after a few moments, the child started breathing on her own again. And this is the woman telling me the story. And by the way, this is an educated woman, a woman who had a PhD, who taught on a college level. Uh, and although in her 80s, at the time she's telling me this story, very, very lucid, not at all uh, senile. And I believed her. And perhaps some of you could tell stories of, of interesting, phenomenal ways that God has communicated with you. In other words, in other words, I can't stand here and say, this is the way God speaks today, period. I could tell you stories of how God has spoken to me and later on in this series, I will, but that wouldn't do you any more good than if I said, hey, God spoke to Balaam through a donkey, so go out and beat the nearest livestock. It, it won't work. So what can we learn from scripture? What are the principles we learn about how God speaks? There are three things that I need for us to understand. See, hearing the voice of God is not a technique. It's more of a lifestyle. It's more of a decision of the will that you have to continue to make day by day. And what do we know from scripture about how God speaks? Number one, 
God usually speaks in unexpected ways at an unexpected time. So there are examples in the Bible of people coming to God with specific questions and Lord, I need your guidance and God supplies the guidance. Those stories exist in scripture, but for the most part, for the most part, and by the way, later on in the series, we'll talk about how to make a decision and know, know God's will in the decision you're making. But for the most part, when God speaks in scripture, it seems to be a total surprise to the person who's receiving the message. Abraham did not expect God to show up when he was 75 and give him a message. Balaam did not expect to hear his donkey speak. And so what that tells us is we can't schedule communication with God. We like to think we can. We like to think, well, I'm just going to I'm just going to pray about this decision and tell the Lord, Lord, I need your answer by 10 o'clock tomorrow. But it doesn't tend to work that way, does it? You can't just say, okay, God, I've got a really busy day today. So tonight after I put the kids to bed, maybe about nine o'clock, then we'll have a chance to communicate. You, you, can't, you can't operate that way. God does not operate on our schedule. You know, the name of this series is Wavelength and, and that's intentional because what I really think is God is constantly communicating with us. And it's not a matter of us getting God to speak because he is speaking. The question is, are we on his wavelength? Are we actually listening to his voice? Instead of thinking, well, if I, if I, just, if I can just convince God to speak to me, I'll know the answers. Instead, the, the question needs to be, am I putting myself in a position where I can hear from him? when he chooses to speak. God speaks at unexpected times and in unexpected ways. So the, the solution for you and me is make sure we're operating on God's wavelength and living in a way that we're ready to hear. Number two, from these stories in the scripture of God speaking, we learn that God gives us the information we need, no more and no less. See, he came to Balaam and said, go where I tell you and say what I give you to say. He comes to Abraham in Genesis 12. We, we talked about this earlier this year and says, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Notice Abraham's 75 years old. He's got a life, a pretty successful life built. And God comes and says, leave, go where I show you. He doesn't say where you're going. He doesn't say what's going to happen when you get there or where you're going to live or how you're going to make a living or, or what the future holds. And that seems to be the way God operates. At least it is in my life. And I think for many of you who've, who've, acquired or learned to walk with God, it is a step-by-step process. And that can be frustrating because I think most of us say, God, if you just gave me a roadmap, if you just showed me what I'm supposed to do with my life long-term, if you just gave me the big picture, I would just follow step-by-step. But that's not the way he chooses to do things. Now, why not? I think because he understands that we don't need a roadmap. We need a father. We don't need instructions. We need a Lord and a savior. And that's what he is to us. So think about it in these terms. If you were, if you were a 12 year old kid, which kind of dad would you rather have? 
Would you rather have the dad who says, okay, son, you're 12, you're about to head into that period of life where you're about to make the big decisions of your life, so I'm just gonna make those decisions for you. I've already prepaid your university education at this particular university. I've already bought a house for you to live in after you graduate. I've already secured a job for you in my firm. I've already arranged with one of my friends for you to marry his daughter. Everything is all set for you. You've got a car, you've got a house, you've got everything you'll need, so just go to it. That's dad number one. And on the one hand, that sounds pretty good. Dad number two comes to you and says, listen, son, I don't have all the answers. I, I, I can't pay for everything. I just want to be there for you. So let's, let's just walk through this together. You come to me when you have questions and, and I will answer them as best I can. You come to me with problems and we'll work on them together. Which dad does a 12-year-old kid need? He needs the second dad. He needs the dad who's going to be with him, who's going to walk beside him through the steps of life. He doesn't just need a roadmap. He needs a guide. God says, I don't want to give you a map. I want to be the one in the car seat next to you telling you when to turn because our relationship with him is more important than making the decisions we think need to be made. So God gives us the information we need, no more and no less. Number three, the third thing we learn from these stories in scripture of God speaking is Hearing God's voice is no guarantee that we will do the right thing. I remember when I was a teenager, I was 16 years old. I'd been a Christian since I was nine. Uh, At 16, I had this experience that I'll talk about more later in this series of realizing I needed to really commit my life to Christ, not just trust him for my salvation, but really follow him with my whole heart and have a faith of my own, not just trying to impress or please my parents. And so I really began to grow at that point as a believer. And at that point also, I became kind of, kind of obsessed with the will of God as a concept. And, and this idea that God has a will for every decision I make. If I could just figure out what that will is, if I could learn a foolproof way of knowing God's will, I would never make a wrong choice. I would choose the right college, the right career, the right person to marry, the right place to live, and I'd be happy as can be. And and the problem with that idea is I began to worship God's will instead of seeking God himself. And the truth is, just because we think we would do God's will if we knew it doesn't mean we actually would. So look at Balaam again. And Balaam's story is one of my favorites in the Bible. It's quirky, it's funny, but it ends on a very sad note. Because Balaam, after God speaks to him through the donkey, he initially does what God tells him. Balaam was scared straight. He went to Balak and he said, I can't curse Israel for you. Balak says, well, give it a shot anyway. Balaam ends up blessing Israel several times instead of placing a curse on them. But then later, and we know this from Numbers 31. Balaam comes back to Balak, the king of Midian, and says, okay, your first plan didn't work. God wouldn't let me curse these people, but I've got a plan for you. If you'll just send some of your women to the Israelite men and have them seductively invite those men to worship your gods, I know the God of Israel. He's not going to bless his people if they're unfaithful to him. And sure enough, the men of Israel go with these Midianite women and worship Midianite gods, and it, it results in catastrophe for the nation of Israel. Well, later, the Israelites recognize what has happened, and they attack Midian. There's, there's a big battle. Israel wins, and one of the people who's killed in the battle, again, this is in Numbers 31, is guess who? Balaam, fighting on the side of God's enemy. So just knowing God's will doesn't mean you're going to do God's will. 
And, and, and I just want to address that idea in a different way right now. If, you, if your ma- mindset right now is, I just need to know what God's plan is, and then I'll do it. Ask yourself the question, are you currently doing everything God has told you to do? Is there any area of your life where you know the will of God, where you know the plan of God, but you're not accomplishing it? I'm not saying are you perfect, because none of us is, but is there an area of your life where you are just willfully disobeying, disobeying the will of God? For instance, are you holding any grudges? We know that God has commanded us to forgive. Is there anybody who you're refusing to extend to for- forgiveness to? Is there, are there any enemies in your life that you're choosing not to love, not to pray for, as Jesus commanded? Is there anybody in your life who you know doesn't know Jesus, but you're not on a regular basis praying for them and seeking an opportunity to win them to faith? Do you currently tithe 10% of your income? We know that's the will of God. He's told us that in his word. Is there any bad habit or, or negative characteristic in your life that you're not currently addressing with all your heart? Things like a, a bad temper or a tendency to gossip about people you don't like or evil thoughts or addiction to alcohol, drugs or pornography or a relationship with someone you know isn't appropriate or a tendency to disrespect your parents or anything else. Are you, are you not actively aggressively trying to rid yourself of one of those areas of life that you know is outside the will of God. See, the question is, the point is, if we can't say we're obeying God in the things that we've already established are his will, the things he's already told us, then what makes us think we would obey him if he told us something new? And to, to take this a little further, if we're not currently doing the things he's already told us to do, why should he tell us anything else? It could very well be that the key to us beginning to hear the voice of God, you and me, is doing the things we already know we should be doing. When I was a freshman in high school, the quarterback of our football team was a big strapping blonde kid. He was a good friend of mine, uh, had this strong arm. He he was just a terrific athlete, sort of looked like John Elway or, or Troy Aikman. And his dad was a former coach which ordinarily that's a good thing. A lot of great athletes, great quarterbacks, especially are the sons of coaches. And in most cases, this was a good thing for my friend. But one night it turned out to be a detriment. This was middle of our freshman year. We were undefeated. In fact, we'd been undefeated since seventh grade, seventh and eighth grade. We hadn't lost a game. We literally had never lost a football game and thought we were unbeatable. On this night, that winning streak would come to an end. And I remember at a key point in the game, when we're trying to mount a comeback, the coach calls timeout and we're all gathered on the sidelines and we're listening to him as he's giving us instructions. Meanwhile, my friend's dad in the stands has noticed some things that he feels he needs to communicate to his son. And so he's yelling from the stands at my friend, his son. And I remember looking at my friend and seeing he was torn. He was looking at the coach, but then he would look up at the stands and he was back and forth trying to listen to both men. And the coach saw what was going on. And he did an interesting thing. He reached out and grabbed my friend by the face mask and brought his face mask up to his face until they were nearly touching noses. And then he let go. And the signal was clear. What he was saying was, right now, I've got to be the one you listen to. You can't listen to more than one voice. And right now, the voice you listen to needs to be mine. Now, he'd probably get sued today and fired. You can't really do that anymore. But, but it was an unmistakable message. And God is giving us 
that unmistakable message today. The question you need to ask yourself, if you're serious about hearing God's voice and knowing his will, the question you need to ask yourself is, whose voice am I going to listen to? Let's establish that right now. Because all of us have a number of voices speaking to us. Everything from our friends, from society, from our own uh, desires and, and appetites, and even advertising. We have all these voices speaking into our lives. What are you going to listen to? Today is the day to say to God, Lord, you are the voice that counts. Above all others, I want to listen to you. I want to hear you. I want to obey you. Lord, here's an area of my life where I know you've been speaking and I haven't been obeying. So I want to lay that before you today just as a sign to say, I am serious about following and knowing your will. And by the way, if you're nervous about that, and if you're honest, a lot of you are, if you say, it's just hard for me to completely give over my self-determination to someone else, even someone like God, if that holds you up, just remember Not only is Jesus all-knowing, which means, to put it mildly, he's smarter than you, but he also loves you more than you can comprehend. Loves you enough, in fact, to die for you. So listening to his voice is the best decision you will ever make. Won't you come before him today and lay your all on the altar and say, Lord, your voice is the only one I want to hear, the only one I want to heed from this day forward.